Welcome to Village Mentality, where melanated people are connected in spirit, love, and community. What's up, kings and queens, beautiful people everywhere? It's your girl, C.K. McGee, and I'm your host. Now, how's everybody doing out there? I'm praying that y'all are doing as well as you can be. I'm fine. Thanks for asking. So, you know me, I like to take a little bit of time to talk about some things, you know, whether it's current events, entertainment, or something that's just on my mind. So why don't we get into my segment called, Let's Talk About It. Now in the month of March, much like the previous month, there are a lot of things that I would like to bring awareness to. So Village, be prepared to hear about women's history, brain injury awareness, self-harm awareness, National Sleep Awareness Week, and World Bipolar Day. First up, Women's History Month. It is such a pleasure this month to be able to celebrate my fellow queens and sisters out there who have done and who are still doing fantabulous things. They're enriching our lives each and every day. Now, I thought about the fact that there is so much history and I really can take this in a lot of different directions. But I thought about it. Being a creative myself, I decided to focus on women who are sister creatives that are blazing their own trails, shining bright, so that we can stand in the warmth of their light. So first up is writer Alice Walker. She was born on February 9th, 1944 in Edenton, Georgia. She was the eighth child of sharecroppers, and as a child, she was accidentally blinded in one eye when one of her brothers fired a BB gun. Without access to a car, which hindered her from being able to receive immediate medical attention, her condition became permanent. Instead of doing chores, she was given a typewriter by her mother. Later on, she received a scholarship to Spelman College, HBCU in the building. And after two years there, she transferred to Sarah Lawrence College. After graduation in 1965, she became involved in the civil rights movement. He taught and she published short stories and essays. One of her short stories entitled, In Love and Trouble, Stories of a Black Woman, bears witness the sexist violence and abuse within the African-American community. Her first novel, Meridian, 
was completed when she moved to New York. And it was about the coming of age of several civil rights workers in the 1960s. She met the late Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and she participated in registering African-American voters in Mississippi. When she and her ex-husband married in 1967, they were the first legally married interracial couple in the state of Mississippi. They were harassed and threatened by whites and the Ku Klux Klan. Her most popular novel, The Color Purple, which was released in 1982, tells the story of the growing up and self-realization of an African-American woman between the years of 1909 and 1947. The book won a Pulitzer Prize and later was adapted into a movie in 1985 by the legendary producer Steven Spielberg. A musical version was produced by Oprah and Quincy Jones. Now, some of her later work would deal with the examination of racial and sexual tensions, as well as female genital mutilation. Now, she received criticism for the poor development of characters in her works between the years of 1989 and 2005. There's always some kind of hater around, right? But she also received praise for championing racial and gender equality in her work as well. Now, she is an avowed feminist and she coined the term womanist, which means a black feminist or feminist of color. Now, Kings and Queens, she has an extensive body of work. And if I were to name all of her books and her essays and her short stories, we would be here probably until the end of time. Oh, <laughs> I invite you to go and take a look at her work and, you know, view it with an open heart, uh, excuse me, an open heart and an open mind, right? Now, the subject matter within these books, it just puts her strength and her courage on full display. So thank you, Queen Walker, for taking a stand on the things that you believe in and for bringing awareness to issues within communities of color that far too often go ignored. Also this month, we'll talk about self-harm awareness. Now, as I mentioned earlier, March is just jam-packed with milestones and bringing awareness to the village is just what I do. So Self-Harm Awareness Month or Self-Injury Month is an annual occurrence that is recognized globally. According to the National Alliance of Mental Illness or NAMI, self-harm or self-injury 
means hurting oneself on purpose. One common method is cutting with a sharp object. But anytime someone deliberately hurts themselves is classified as self-harm. Some people feel an impulse to cause burns, pull out their hair, or pick at wounds to prevent healing. Extreme injuries can result in broken bones. Hurting oneself is a sign of emotional distress. And self-harm can also cause feelings of shame. The scars caused by frequent cutting or burning can be permanent. Drinking alcohol or doing drugs while hurting yourself increases the risk of a more severe injury than intended. Self-harm is not a mental illness, but a behavior that indicates a need for better coping skills. Now, several illnesses are associated with it, and they include borderline personality disorder, depression, eating disorders, anxiety, and PTSD. Self-harm occurs most often during the teenage and young adult years, though it can also happen later on in life. Those at the most risk are people who have experienced trauma, neglect, or abuse. For instance, if a person grew up in an unstable family, it might have become a coping mechanism for them. If a person binge, binge drinks or uses illicit drugs, they are at greater risk of self-injury because alcohol and drugs, they lower self-control. So the urge to hurt yourself may start with overwhelming anger, frustration, or pain. And if a person doesn't feel many emotions, they might cause themselves pain in order to feel something real to replace their emotional numbness. So it's important to note that self-harm is not the same as attempting suicide. However, it is a symptom of emotional pain that should be taken seriously. So if someone is hurting themselves, they may be at an increased risk of feeling suicidal. It is important to find treatment for those underlying emotions that they're dealing with. So throughout this month, I will go into further detail about this condition. One of the most important steps in destigmatizing mental illness or other conditions that impact our lives is awareness. It is my goal to assist in bringing down these walls so that people will be able to see things from a healthier and judgment-free point of view. And in turn, we just might be able to give some effective support to someone around us who may be suffering. Now, George Floyd and Breonna Taylor were both murdered by police last year in 2020. And throughout last year, there had been some legislation that was introduced for both. 
And so I felt like I needed to bring this information to the village because we really do need to keep um, track of what's going on, right? As we continue to be disappointed, but not surprised by the lack of care regarding Black lives, and as we see justice continue to be evaded for acts of police brutality against communities of color, we see all of this hold true. As recently we heard in the case of Daniel Prude, who was a 41-year-old Black man who lived in Rochester, New York. And while having a psychotic episode that may have been induced by ingesting PCP, police responded by placing a mesh hood, a mesh hood over his head to keep him from spitting. They pinned him to the ground, pressing him to the pavement until he lost consciousness. He died about a week later on March 30th, 2020. We just recently found out that the police that were involved in that situation in that mishandling of a mental illness case, basically, where there may have been substance abuse involved, will not have any charges brought against them. This is a narrative that plays far too often in communities of color when it comes to interaction with police. And this is one of the reasons why we're looking for police reform. There has to be accountability in the way that they interact with communities of color, specifically when it comes to issues where mental illness is at play. You cannot, I repeat for the 55th billionth time, come into a situation hot all the time. You have to learn how to de-escalate a situation instead of escalating it and it ending up in either immediate or eventual death. Now, some might say, well, given those details, the police did what they had to do. And then I would say, not quite. Again, it is one thing to secure a scene or situation, but it is completely another and there is a disproportionate response when it comes to black and brown people when police are involved. So I wanted to talk to the village about a couple of bills that have been drafted in the US Congress. So George Floyd's Justice in Policing Act <clears throat> is one, and the other is Justice for Breonna Taylor Act. Now. George Floyd's act is an omnibus bill, meaning that there are several provisions, excuse me, that are included in one piece of legislation. It provides for mandatory body cams, limitations to qualified immunity, bans on certain chokeholds, etc. Now, this bill, it did pass in the House, but not in the Senate. And it was also made clear by 45 when he was president that he would veto the bill because he took specific exception to the limitations on qualified immunity. Hmm, I wonder why. So for this reason, the hope 
is to use the Justice for Breonna Taylor Act as a stepping stone to allow for a more expansive bill, okay? And we, we, we were hoping that maybe if one is passed, we can perhaps get the other. Now, the Justice for Breonna Taylor Act would completely ban no-knock warrants on the federal level because uh, this bill is sponsored by Senator Rand Paul, they feel that it's more likely to garner support from Senate Republicans and moderate Democrats. So I know I recently heard the name Senator Rand Paul because he was, you know, doing a lot of talking about transgender individuals. And it seemed from kind of what I was like reading about it, there is, I think he has like opposition to certain aspects. Um, of course, you know, I invite you guys to look into that further. So, but it makes me wonder why they have confidence in him uh, to be able to get this bill passed. But we'll definitely have to watch and listen and see what's going to happen. Um, but of course, if this bill passes, right, the hope is that it can be used as a door to establish more reform. And it's very much needed. We do need the reform. So let's keep ourselves abreast of the issues uh, that continue to impact our communities, impact our communities, excuse me, and the people that we need to hold accountable so that these changes can be made and so that equity can at last be enjoyed by all. It's that time to take a walk to my musical jukebox. The first song, this first song, excuse me, appeared on his album, Turnstiles, in 1976. See, I told you guys, you never know what I'm going to play, <laughs> what decade, genre, you just never know. So you just got to stay in, in tune and, and see. But I hope that you rock with me nonetheless, right? Now, this song, it was never released as a single, but it has become a fan favorite, and this artist performs it regularly at his concert, which I would love to see him in concert. Now, this song has a special place in my heart because it is a wonderful tribute to the state where I was born and raised. It's Billy Joel's New York State of Mind. Now, this is not to be confused with Empire State of Mind by Jay-Z and Alicia Keys. I love that song too, but I'll have to play that another time. After Billy finishes loving on our state because he too is a New Yorker, I will get into today's topic.
Some folks like to get away, take a holiday from the neighborhood. Hop a flight to Miami Beach or to Hollywood. But I'm taking a Greyhound on the Hudson River line. I'm in a New York state of mind I've seen all the movie stars In their fancy cars and their limousines Been high in the Rockies Under the Everglades I know what I'm needing I don't want to waste more time I'm in a New York state of mind It was so easy living day by day Out of touch with the rhythm and blues Well, now I need a little give and take The New York Times, the Daily News It comes down to reality And it's fine with me cause I've let it slide I'm in a New York state of mind oh, Oh, 
beautiful people. So let's get into today's topic, which is called Daddy Issues, Lost Generation of Women and Men. <laughs> now, I love a good joke probably as much as anyone, but sometimes there may be certain subjects that are joked about that may not be so funny, at least not to me. I know, I know that humor is a way for us to look at ourselves and the things that we do in a more relaxed and disarming way. I get it, trust me, I do. But when it comes to the joke that has been made about women regarding daddy issues, I have to honestly say that I've never found that joke humorous. And what's more, I have come to understand through experience that it is not just women who have daddy issues. Mm -hmm, I said it. Would you believe that men do as well? Now, kings, calm down, settle down. I do not want you to feel like I'm suggesting this as a way to criticize or judge you. But when you think about it, it's like, uh, duh, women and men have fathers. And so therefore, it is perfectly plausible to believe that both can have daddy issues. It's just that one group is put in the spotlight more than the other. Now, the non-clinical definition of the term daddy issues is a person who has an unhealthy or absent relationship with their father. Examples may include a dad who was abusive emotionally and or physically, or a paternal figure who was not present during formative years. See, there goes that phrase, formative years again. Now you guys know that I've talked about this before, formative years and the significance of them. Whatever happens during that duration of time, it does have a lasting effect on your son, your daughter, as they go into their adult lives, right? The messaging that they may receive, the behavior, the relationships they have at that time, it has an impact on how they behave and interact with other people. It is important. So don't just think that because they were four or they were six or they were seven, that one, they're not going to remember 
or that whatever it is that happened during that time isn't going to affect them because more than likely it will. And if there isn't communication, healing, nurturing, it could be something down the road that could cause harm to themselves or another person. Now at their core, daddy issues are a carryover effect from difficult childhoods into adulthood, whereby familiar behaviors are replicated, particularly in romantic relationships, right? We model the behavior that we see. Now, how did daddy issues enter the lexicon? I mean, our vocabulary. In the field of personality psychology, the famous psychoanalyst Sigmund Freud is credited with coining the term father complex. Remember that father complex? That's an old school term, right? They kind of modernized it by calling it daddy issues now. But still, father complex was a $10 phrase used to describe someone who has unconscious associations and impulses resulting from an individual's poor relationship with their father. <clears throat> now, Village, I can tell you right now, um, I didn't have a good relationship with my father. In fact, I refer to him as my bio dad. So that right there should tell you something, right? Um, I felt like I was always walking on eggshells around my father. Um, I don't feel, I didn't feel like I was loved by him. He wasn't like someone who, I definitely wasn't daddy's little girl or I had him wrapped around my finger. Like none of those things happen. Um, but I just always felt unsettled, never at peace around him. And so um, our relationship deteriorated um, until it just became non-existent. I stopped having a relationship with my father when I was 15 years old. That was a long, long time ago. He is deceased now, but I often think back and I know that as a child, you love your parents really regardless of whatever it is they're doing, even if what they're doing is harmful to you, because you always have this hope. Perhaps maybe, I don't know, if you love them, they'll love you. I don't know. Um, if my father did love me, he had a funny way of showing it. And I wonder what kinds of things happened in his formative years that may have shaped the way he was as an adult. You see how that cycle continues? So anyway, Freud initially believed this neurosis, as he calls it, only impacted males. Caller, you say what? But then again, let's think about it, right? We have been socialized in this country and really in the world to place more value on boys, on males, right? And so if you're doing studies, uh, philosophy, all of those kinds of things is going to be directed, geared toward them because, you know, they're sort of like out there in the forefront. But there were other psychoanalysts who thought differently than Freud, such as Carl Jung. And he is the one who helped to expand this application, both men and women, all right? 
And there are some out there who would say that this whole thing, this, this father complex, daddy issue, uh, was based off of his own relationship, own dysfunctional relationship with his father, okay? Now, in the context of personal relationships, daddy issues are often used as a negative descriptor, usually targeted at women, right? So here are some examples of some of the, the, the things that may have been said by you or heard by you as a man in talking about a woman. All right, so here goes. My girlfriend has only dated older men. Talk about daddy issues. Now, first of all, I have to say, I didn't realize that when a woman is dating an older man, that it's indicative of her having daddy issues. I mean, I do know that personally, I don't prefer to date older men. I have a five-year cutoff, five years up, five years down. You know what I mean? Five years older, five years younger. That's it. I don't want to date my brother and I don't want to date my father. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> the other, the next one is my wife cannot stand overly assertive men that remind her too much of her pops. And you say daddy issues? Well, yeah, most females, especially back in the day, uh, more than likely had a controlling father, an assertive father, somebody who was, you know, dominating, domineering. <clears throat> she probably didn't have the opportunity to think for herself, make her own decisions, right? So obviously when she moves on into her romantic relationship, then she really doesn't want to have to deal with that at that time, right? Makes sense. Then the last one says, she constantly needs validation from guys. She needs validation from guys. That girl has serious daddy issues. So, you know, again, with your parents being your first teacher uh, and also, you know, seeing their relationship, you know, your parents' relationship and how they interact with one another, it also can have an impact on your children, right? And so not only the way they interact with each other, but as a father with daughters, you are the first uh, example uh, that they have as a man in their lives, right? So it is very important, the messages that you give your daughters, right? Are you telling her that she's beautiful? that she can do anything she sets her mind to do? Do you, you know, let her know that you'll support her and that you'll be behind her, how much she means to you? Like all those things matter. And if, dad, you set that tone with your daughters early on, um, they're likely going to, you know, gravitate towards men in their future who treat them that way but here's something really important, ladies, and, and really everyone, you have to be able to find your own value within yourself, your joy, your happiness, your self-worth, all of that has to come from within, but dads, it definitely can help uh, if you foster and, and kind of like, I, I know I'm using the word nurture, which is more for moms, but if you can foster that within your daughter so that she can independently find that for herself, it definitely is a great boost. You know what I mean?
So those were some examples okay, that, that guys may say regarding women and their daddy issues. Now, you remember that I said, and men, right? So now let's check out the examples that women may say about their men. So here's the first one. My boyfriend likes to control everything. That man has daddy issues. Well, here it is, the converse side, the other side of the coin, right? If a little boy saw that his father was in control, that he ruled the household with an iron fist, what he said was the law, and that nobody had any say-so, well, he saw that, that was all that he saw, and that is going to be the behavior that he will perpetuate moving forward into his relationships. Make sense? The next one, he will not commit to a relationship just like his father would not commit to his mother. He has serious daddy issues. Once again, we model the behavior that we see and your children are watching how you and their mother interact with one another. Are you loving? Are you kind? Um, are you caring? Is she your first priority? Are you taking care of her above all and, and above everyone? Are you committed to the relationship and spending your lives together, right? You have some that might um, reproduce and, and bring children into the world. And unfortunately, they don't stick around <clears throat> to take care of that child, right? And so what kind of relationship do you have with your children's mother? Important because they're watching particularly your sons. Now, the last one is my husband thinks that showing affection is effeminate. His father is the same way. Can you say daddy issues? Now, once again, do you see affection between your parents? Are they holding hands? Do they hug? Do they kiss? You know, a lot of times when we as little kids see that, we're like, ew. But Secretly inside, it feels nice when you see that your parents get along. It's better than watching them argue and slam doors and walk out where you're sitting there wondering if they're going to come back, right? So a son is watching that as well. And again, he's going to carry what he sees into his future relationships. Now, if in fact, if in fact uh, he's witnessing things that are not good, there is another choice. He could decide to break the generational curse, the cycle, and he could choose to do it differently. So that's something else that um, is within our control to make a change, even if we didn't see something when we were kids. I'm certain that if we didn't see it, we had thoughts about what we wanted to see. And so therefore we can sort of create our own opportunity to be what we didn't have, if that makes sense. So it is possible that we all have dealt with fathers who have not showed up for us in the way that we deserve. And one thing I will say, uh, if you guys listened to the episode last week, when I talked about um, life after the death of a spouse, I talked about my pop and my poppy, you know, he was the third time the charmer. <laughs> in my mother's life, 
Fortunately, we had the opportunity, my brothers and I, to be loved by a father figure and to know what that feels like and to be able to get from him what should come out of healthy relationships. You know, there was a lot of positive reinforcement. He was a great role model for my brothers. You know, he was loving and kind to me. And so that's something that we experienced and I'm grateful for that. Now, substance abuse, domestic violence, incarceration, and abandonment, unfortunately, is something that is experienced by boys and girls. And without knowing it, these feelings are suppressed about those situations, and they have a tendency to show up in the way that we behave toward one another as adults. Now, you guys are familiar with blueprints, right? blueprints of buildings or houses, right? We all have emotional blueprints. When you purchase your house or when you're thinking about renovating one, blueprints are used so that you can get the lay of the land, so to speak, right? Well, what I'm saying is that we as people have an emotional blueprint and it can offer some insight into the reasons behind why we think and behave the way that we do. I would argue that if we just take the time to see what lies beneath a person's actions and reactions, it just may help us to better relate to one another. Now, I'm not saying that we cannot be the awesome people that we are, but sometimes if we just understand a person's blueprint, the why behind everything, it could be extremely beneficial, especially when we're addressing some of the challenges that we may have with the people that we encounter. And so I hope that at least this gives you guys an opportunity to sort of think about this and to recognize that we all are in the same boat, so to speak, right? It's not just one group or the other, but it's all of us that could have had daddy issues. And perhaps as a result, we've had a generation of lost men and women that are just really looking to find their way. But you're not alone, right? And again, you have the power to make the change. You have every right to be happy. and Everybody deserves happiness. So why don't you just take a look at the things that you think, the way that you feel, the way that you act and react, and see if there is any connection at all to your father. And then determine those things that you can change so that you can have better relationships with the people that you encounter. Now, the last song for the evening is from an iconic singer who some say stopped being a pop idol and became an artist with this particular song. 
This song took her in a whole other direction with its dark and brooding mixing of rock and R&B, as well as some other musical genres, including gospel. Beautiful people, it's Madonna, and she's about to take us to church like a prayer.
I just love that song. Every single time it came on, I was just going to church with that woman in the end where she's singing. And I just, I could have had a tambourine or something, but I've always enjoyed that song. So <laughs> thanks, Anna. <laughs> Now, we're going to get into the inspirational story for the week. The title of this one is called, What a Waste, right? What a waste. Now, it's been a minute since I've been talking about our animals, but here we go. We're going to talk about some animals in this inspirational story. A mother camel and her baby were lying down, soaking up the sun. The baby camel asked his mom, why do we have these big bumps on our back? The mom stopped to think and then said, we live in the desert where there is not much water available. Our humps store water to help us survive on long journeys. The baby camel then stopped to think and said, well, why do we have long legs with rounded feet? His mother replied, they are meant to help us walk through sand. The baby asked a third question. All right, now, I know y'all, I know y'all better not be talking about, come on, boy, you asking too many questions. <laughs> but his mother was very patient and she listened and he said, why are my eyelashes, excuse me, why are my eyelashes so long? The mother replied, your long eyelashes offer you protection from sand when it blows in the wind. So finally, the baby said, if we have all these natural abilities given to us to walk through the desert, then what's the use for camels in the zoo? Aha. Oh. <laughs> Aha. So what's the takeaway? What's the takeaway from this story? Um, well, the skills and abilities that you possess are not going to be useful to you if you're not in the right environment. I'll say it again. The skills and abilities that you possess will not be useful to you if you are not in the right environment. Now, you've probably heard of like professionals who like diss their job all of a sudden because they want to chase their dream or that person who remains unfulfilled in their job, but they don't do anything to make a change. Come on, make that change. You gotta make that change. Michael Jackson said, make that change. That's what you need to do. Don't sit there and be miserable all your life. If you're stuck in a career that isn't the right fit, you have to do some self-reflection and realize where your strengths lie, okay? So that they don't go to waste. Turn to people that you know best, as well as professionals, and <clears throat> let's see what they think about you. Maybe they can help you make a decision, make a determination as to what you might be better suited in doing, you know? So just think big and remain open to new ideas because life is short and we all deserve happiness, don't we?
Well, kings and queens, we've come to the end of another show. I do hope that the information provided here will be of help to you. And remember, it's always, always a good idea to do your own research, no matter what the topic is, especially if your life is involved. Thank you so much for tuning in this week, and I look forward to being with you all again next week. Please be sure to follow Village Mentality on Instagram and Facebook at villagementality.ckm as in Mary. And just remember, beautiful people, God has got me and he's got you too. Be blessed and here's brighter days.